may call. You may be seated this morning. I'm going to invite Lena to come on up. It's just been a great joy for us to be with you again at Advance 2. And I was thinking about, you know, Resurgence Advance. And we were here last year, and that was the first one. So that was one. This is Advance 2. And there will be Advance 3 and Advance 4, I'm sure. And to be a part of Advance is awesome. And so I think that, you know, when people say, where were you this weekend? I said, Advance 2. And they'll say, what is Advance 2? Well, it's find out next year. And we grew about 30%, uh, 20% this year from last year. And I just think that we're going to just keep uh, growing and growing and growing. And uh, it will advance as God wants it to. Amen? Uh, Lena's got a thought that she's going to share with you just briefly before I uh, speak. As I was interceding this morning on behalf of our pastors all over our province in Northwest Territory, um, I was reading scriptures over them. And when I was reading scriptures, I have a lot of things written in my Bible. And uh, I read this, and I feel like it's for somebody here. And it says, I had to find out how to receive miracles that would create something out of nothing. Create something out of nothing. I believe it's a creative miracle. I talked about a little bit about yesterday. Like, I'm just reminded even again about Ken Stagg when he was in India. He saw an eyeball growing. That is a creative, creating something out of nothing. You can picture that. And I believe that for the healing anointing for this nation, for you guys to lay hold of that. But I believe this is for business too. What is God speaking to you? Creating something out of nothing. And the other thing is I was thinking of Travis and Resurgence. If Travis had said no, Resurgence was nothing, right? He created something out of nothing. And I want you to see yourself, your positioning, what God has for you and in what God is calling you. And then I just, um, Travis, uh, I just want to remind you. I remember we had just started City Center Church. We were just left Lister Hall and come into the telecenter. I remember you walking in with Kevin and Aaron and uh, John. And I remember telling Ken there's something on that guy. Right, sweetheart? I just, I saw it. No, I know it. Something for Kevin and for John, too. And God is calling John. I'm just, he's my son, too. Uh, but Travis, when you said 120 rowing paddle, something else comes to you when I say that? What? Right. Upper room. So I can see this place being the place where God is shaking Alberta. The prophetic word I spoke over Alberta. The upper room. This is the beginning of something amazing taking place in our nation. And I want you just to remind you once again to pray for Travis. Just pray for him. Pray for your pastor. Just call on God because this is his position in our nation is much greater than I think he knows. I mean, I think he thinks he knows, but I don't think he really knows, if you get what I'm saying. And he needs prayer support. I'm not kidding you. It's not by the might or power of Travis. It's God's spirit. And he's going to be a target. So I'm begging you. I'm asking you to intercede on behalf of him and his team. And again, I want to remind you to pray for your pastor. So thank you for that. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lena. Well, I just want to thank those that have spoke already, and starting with Dave, Dynamic Dave. Wow, what a fireball he is. And uh, 
full of God and full of life and full of just the Spirit of God. And, uh, and then Lena, of course, lovely Lena, uh, just did an awesome job. And kind Kevin. Is Kevin still in the house? Kevin? And yeah, there's kind Kevin. And uh, he is beautiful. Yeah, thank you, kind Kevin. Let's go ahead and appreciate him. Yeah, we love him. And there's big things there's big things for them as well, for Aaron and Kevin. And, uh, you know, in some ways as I close, we close this morning, uh, it, you know, it could be for some speakers intimidating because there's been so much that's gone on. And last night, almost always the night, the night before the morning, you know, now is almost always the kind of the finale in one way because it's just, it crescendos. And how many of you received a powerful word from the Lord last night? Let me see your hands all over this place. And I mean the spoken word and also God speaking the rhema word into your heart. And that is so amazing. Uh, And so it could be a little bit like, okay, where are we going to go from here? But I see it kind of like the baseball analogy that uh, in baseball, when you're winning a game and you want to finish the game winning, you when you come to the end of the last inning or two, you bring in what's called a closing pitcher, all right? Now, this closing pitcher, he may only pitch one inning or maybe two or one and a half, and they may pay him the most money on the team. I mean, he could be the most expensive guy, but he pitches like, you know, three innings or two innings or one maybe sometimes. And the thing is, is that they bring him in when? When they're winning, when they're ahead. If they're losing the game, they just keep on using starting pitchers. They just keep on practicing, you know, and they're, pre, you know, go ahead and throw the ball. But there's something about closing that is very important in anything in life. And so it's never, ever a, a lull, if you will. It's not that at all. In fact, it's the opposite in my mind, that finishing well is as important as starting. Like, you've started something, but are you going to finish well? Am I going to finish well? And I believe that we are. Amen? One of the things that I want to just mention before I get going to is that this Friday at 7 o'clock, my daughter Louise, who we're so proud of, is putting on a Christmas party for a cause. And uh, it's all about the Lahoda, uh, Lahoda uh, organization in Tanzania, Africa, with missions uh, involved. And you can be a part of that as well this Friday if you want to. Uh, but we're going to just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to just keep our ears open. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the ear of the Lord today for each one of us, the ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, you have given each one of us a heart And you said that that heart should long after you, a heart that pants for you, God. But we also have been given ears, and Revelation says we need to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I pray, God, that that would happen this morning, that there would be open hearts and open ears and open minds, that weary bodies would right now come alert, and that they would be alert in Jesus' name, that there would be sharpness of thought and spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. A wise man once said, he was declaring about prayer warriors, he said, every believer should go into the school of prayer with Christ and actually learn the secret of prayer. He said, the precious ministry of intercession. 
Indeed, there is no greater ministry in all the world than the ministry of intercession and prayer. Unfortunately, very little has been done in recent years to train people in this crucial aspect of Christian service. For a century, a century ago, E.M. Bounds pointed out this. He said, is prayer a fixed course in the schools of the church, in the Sunday schools, the homes, the colleges? Have we any graduates in the school of prayer? Is the church producing those who have diplomas from the great university of prayer? Prayer is not learned in a classroom, but in a closet. E.M. Bounds explains, he says, prayer is the best school in which to learn to pray. Prayer, the best dictionary to define the art and nature of praying. It was Hope McDonald in her outstanding book, Discovering How to Pray, that said with equal intensity, we can read all about books and that have ever been written about prayer. But until we actually choose by an act of our will to pray, we will never learn to pray. Truly, prayer is something to be learned and developed. And finally, on prayer, I want to say this. The reader, you today, the listener, may be surprised to learn that Christ's disciples, Christ's disciples, never asked their master to teach them how to preach, but he did teach, ask them to teach them how to pray. Think about that. They never asked him to teach him how to preach, and yet we have courses on it, homiletics, and we turn out preachers, but do we turn out prayers? Os Guinness gives a very helpful definition of doubt in his book, Two Minds, when he says... When you believe you are in one mind and accept something is true. He says, unbelief is to be of one mind and reject that something is true. To doubt is to wave between the two. To believe and disbelieve at the same time and so to be two minds. That is what James calls in chapter 1 of James a double-minded man. Or as the Chinese say, doubt is standing in two boats with one foot in each. James chapter 1, verse 5, you want to follow with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In a speech made in 1863, Abraham Lincoln said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounty of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied us and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings 
were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. In the magazine called Discipleship Journal, a survey was made that was ranking areas of greatest challenge to spiritual leaders. And I want to just give you about eight or ten of them in order, and you might want to jot them down. These were challenges that leaders faced. Number one, materialism. And I will just go on. Pride. Self-centeredness. Laziness. Anger slash bitterness. Sexual lust. Envy, gluttony, and finally, lying. Survey respondents noted temptations were more potent when they neglected their time with God. In fact, that was 81%. I'm going to say them again. Materialism, pride, self-centeredness, laziness, anger slash bitterness, sexual lust, envy, gluttony, and lying. They found that when they neglected praying, 81%, that's when they were the hardest to deal with these, uh, they, to deal with these issues. And, and when they were physically tired, 50%, 57% said they struggled. Resisting temptation was accomplished, they said, however, 84%, by prayer. Again, we're back to prayer. Avoiding compromising situations, 76%. Bible study, devotional time, 66%. And finally, being accountable to somebody, 52%. So if you just want those numbers really quick again, 81% first. And then physically tired, 57%. Resisting temptation by prayer, 84%. Avoiding compromising situations, 76%. Bible study, 66%, and accountability, 52 James does not, in chapter 1 that we read, mince his words. He talks about a double-minded person and says it means that this person is unstable in all their ways. But another word for the word unstable is the word restless. Now, Restless and unstable seem to be somewhat different, but I believe they're very connected and, in fact, from the uh, etymology, from the uh, breaking down of the word that we get unstable. Restless is a good word replacement as well. We live in a very restless time. Not only is it restless in our world, in our government, in our finances, in our climate, in our, in our you know, ecosystem, in our, in our food, and everything like that. But there's a restlessness that's come upon people Generally speaking, that unfortunately, uh, many people in the church are struggling with it as well. Some people, and I don't want to point you out if you're doing this right now, but some people, when you're with them, they can't stop moving their leg. For instance, 
You know what I mean? Now, right now, some of you, you know, I'm not pointing anyone out. But it really is weird. I mean, you're sitting at a table, and you're like way at the other end, and you feel the room vibrating. And it's because somebody just can't stop moving their leg. Now, we're getting a bit older, and I thank God that he's sustaining us. And we don't look a year older than 75. But, but actually, we're in our 50s now, and we have a grandchild that's four. And when you get a little bit older, sometimes you get a restless leg syndrome. And you go to bed at night, and you're sleeping, and all of a sudden you've got your legs that are jumping or something like that. And it's, it's, it's not fun. I'm not talking about that kind of restlessness. I'm talking about this attention deficit disorder syndrome kind of thing that seems so prevalent today that people cannot focus. And the problem is, is they can't complete things. They can't get things done. And the thing they want to do, they don't do because they can't focus on the plan. And so they change jobs, they change schools, they change partners. They change everything all the time because they can't seem to stay focused on the prize. James is talking about that kind of person. We begin to display signs of being a fake or a flake versus being people of spirit and people of truth. Double-mindedness or divided in interests is a common disease. Victims are paralyzed by doubt, hesitation, and hypocrisy. And this is really kind of a closing message that really is going to keep us on track so that we can actually be people that are resurgent and people that are advancing. And if you're struggling today with doubt or hesitation or hypocrisy, any one of those three or all three or some of them, I want you to listen up and understand, first of all, there's hope. There's hope. Okay. But secondly, I want you to know that if this is a disease that you have, that there is a healing for you and that Jesus wants to do that. Chuck Swindoll he refers to this in, in this whole subject, and he says, some people, there's lots of talk, but no guts. He says they're insincere, and they're insecure. They're insecure, they're insincere, lots of talk, but no guts. Single-mindedness is beginning to sound a lot better. Like to be double-minded is not a good thing. Some people have maybe prided themselves in the fact that they like to kind of flip all over the place and all over the map. And they, they just, you know, they've got all kinds of creative ideas and they, they chalk it up to that. But it really isn't all it's cracked up to be. Now, when you look on the text, chapter 1, we were in uh, to verse 13 and on. It says, the nature of temptation. Okay, it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full-grown, it gives birth to death. Don't. 
be deceived. My dear brothers, my dear sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We're dealing with temptation. We're dealing with trouble. The story of a little boy sitting on the front steps with his face cradled in his hands, looking so forlorn, so sad. His dad comes home just then and asks him, what was he doing and what was wrong? The little boy looked up and said, well, just between us, dad, I'm having trouble getting along with your wife, too. It's supposed to be funny. Trouble. Temptation. Temptation leads to trouble. The trouble that we're having, oftentimes the temptation we're facing, it is producing something in us that is counterproductive to the goals that God has for us. Now, there's two questions that we often ask ourselves when we're in trouble or we're in temptation, and they are this. Number one, what did I do to deserve this? Now, whatever this is for you, remember that question because you probably asked it yourself. What did I do to deserve this? And the second question is, why is God doing this to me? Are these not two questions that everyone at one time or another is going to ask? And oftentimes, the people that we care about the most, the lost and the dying, those without Christ, will blame God for something God never did. He had nothing to do with it at all. You see, God allows evil, and he ties this with allowing us to have free will. Rather than creating evil, God created the possibility for evil. So no one should say, God is tempting me. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. He did not want us to go there. Double-mindedness. James introduces two powerful concepts about double-mindedness. Number one, we are tempted by the evil desires that remain within us. You find it in verse 14. But it says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. There was an old song years ago I learned as a child, and it was really just a a little part of a song that said, it's not my mother, it's not my brother, but it's me, O Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. It's not my father, it's not my brother, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother, not my father, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Got it? With a little bit of drum action there, I could have kind of pulled that off. We are tempted by the evil desires that remain within us. Number two, double-mindedness keeps us 
from receiving God's wisdom and strength. Verse number 7. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord until we come to the place where we are willing to face up to the sins that hang on in our lives. We will continue to experience the inner war that St. Paul described in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, when he said, I do not understand what I do. He said, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Listen, St. Paul's my hero. St. Paul's probably most of your heroes. St. Paul said, I don't know why I'm doing this because I don't want to do this. He says, but the thing I want to do, I don't do. And then he goes on, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the curse of this bondage? This thing that's entangled me. Listen, trials have a way of forcing the issues of your life to the top. It's like cream that rises to the top and it's skimmed off the milk and we have cream. It comes to the top naturally because of the way it is made. It's heavier. It's got to do what it has to do. And that's what it's like for us with trials. And when we can identify unsurrendered desire in our lives, the power of those undealt with unsurrendered identified sins, they lose their power. See, sin always grows and explodes in secret places. It it loves secret places. There was a song about that. Seek sin growing. Just, I can hear it. It, It's it's in a, yeah, I don't, I forgot it because I don't want to remember it. We are given the opportunity, listen, to repent, every one of us. As long as we're breathing, as long as we're on planet Earth, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, truly. We we know, we all lost loved ones. And listen, my first funeral I ever did at the age of about 25 was for a man 30 years of age that committed suicide. He jumped in front of a train and killed himself. Listen, that was my first funeral. I did not put him in heaven. I preached to the living. How could I put him in heaven? We go to funerals all the time and we hear them say, the soul of our brother departed and the man lived like a devil. The woman was ungodly. And the priest is saying, or the pastor is saying, the soul of our brother departed. It doesn't work that way. That's not the Bible. That's not the Word of God. But I don't put him in heaven, and I don't put him in hell. See, because I'm not the judge. But on earth, I, you, have the opportunity to repent And the beautiful thing about repentance is this. You don't even have to be wrong to repent. You don't have to be wrong. You can simply say, God, for things that I know, yes, God, forgive me. For things I don't know that I did, forgive me. And I'm not walking in fear. 
I'm not walking in a sense that kind of, you know, Lord, I just don't know if you're going to accept me or not in rejection because that falls off of me. There's times, listen, as a leader, often we find ourselves in situations and it's happened repeatedly in the last couple of years where I've been involved in, in services of reconciliation involving First Nations people in Canada. Twice in Ottawa and uh, Alberta. Twice? Three times? And, and my wife keeps track. But, and it's just, it's just been happening like very dynamically and spontaneously and it's been very powerful. But, but listen... There, there's times when you know that you've done something wrong. There's times you don't know. And I have people come to me and they say, listen, I'm really upset with you. And I said, what did I do? Well, they, no, it's not you. It's, it's because you're the superintendent. So I'm really upset with you because I'm really upset with whoever. The organization, a pastor, the school, a deacon, whatever. And I said, okay. Okay, you can be, that's all right, let's deal with that. And we, we, we go through repentance, even though I didn't do it, I'm in a position where if I can release them by being the person that they've got to pray, not to me or through me, but with me. And they pray, God, would you release this thing in my life that I've held against this person or this person or this organization? And we get those things cleared up in our lives. Amen. We can look back on our trials with pure joy. And and you know what? We can get, listen, you can get attention for your future uh, from, I should say, the attention that you can get from being in that moment of repentance, that, that attention to what God's doing in your life can lead you and lead me in a brand new direction. The attention leads you in a new direction. It's like on you standing on guard. It's a beautiful thing. You go to London, England. You go stand there. Look at those guards and they won't move. They won't blink. You can do funny things. They, they don't care. They just do what they're supposed to do. And when we get our hearts right before God, we have the attention of heaven. We have the heart of God. We have the voice of the Almighty. Uh, We have the Spirit of God speaking. And that's why we've been hearing about prophecy. And that's why we've been operating it. Why? Because the Spirit of prophecy is really the Spirit of Jesus. Revelation talks about it. He wants so badly for you and for me to be able to walk in truth. And oftentimes for us to have truth, we need to have somebody speak a rhema word. It's a word from God. It's not the Word of God, but it's a Word from God. And and there's the Logos Word. That's the written Word, the the Word that will forever stand the test of time. The Bible says the worlds can pass away, but the Word is forever settled. And then there's the Rhema Word that comes off of those pages. How does it come off those pages? Through people. It comes through different ones that God uses, through the messages that are preached, the songs that are sung. And also through words of knowledge, wisdom, and also prophetic utterances. You see, this is what God wants for us to be people that are focused and have direction. You need to understand that God can say this to us and he can speak this to us because God does not change. 
there's, there's a couple of things that God can't do. You say, God can do anything. Well, not actually. God cannot change. James 1, 16 to 18, it says it. I've already read it. But it says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change. Now, have you often wondered why, or have you ever wondered why God is referred to light? Jesus is the light of the world. Why did he call him light? Why didn't he call him something else? Why light? Listen to this, the speed of light. The speed of light in vacuum commonly denoted C is a universal physical constant important in many areas of physics. Its value is 299,792,458 meters per second, a figure that is exact because the length of the meter is defined from this constant and the international standard for time. Jesus is the light of the world because he can't change. You see, time can change. There can be warps in time. We know that at one time in the Old Testament, time stood still. That means time changed. Your watch isn't always accurate. Why? Because time changes. We change, but God never changes. He's constant. He's absolutely constant. He cannot lie. Hebrews 6.18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who, who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Isn't that good? That we are encouraged as we grab a hold of this thing that God's given us, this hope, because we know that God cannot lie. If he said it, I believe it. I'll believe it till I die. It's written in my heart. It's written in the word. God's testings don't lead us to sin. He allows testings in order to deliver us from sin. He wants to deliver you from sin. Listen, another word in the King James for he never changes is that word variableness. There's no variableness in him. This rare word is used only one time in the New Testament Greek. And it's, it's the understanding that comes from the setting of the teeth in a saw. Kind of weird. The setting of the teeth in a saw. He could never change. God doesn't change. He is immutable. This deals with a lot of theological things, even including the little God's theory, where we think we become like God. We are not no longer sons of God, but we are God. We are not God. We are made in his image. He is God. We need him. Now we ask with clear commitment and faith, we ask this. God, have we a mixed mind that's receiving a mixed message? A mixed mind will hear a mixed message. That is why oftentimes people walk out of a room and they don't get it. Their mind is under attack. 
they are bombarded with all of these racing thoughts. They can't slow things down. And a mixed mind, mixed signals, mixed messages. Confusion. You see, faith flourishes when we come to a place of single-mindedness. The Bible says in verse 18 of our text, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Birth and new beginnings go together. The opportunity for us all to have soul strength, once again, is now possible. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear what? No evil. For why? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil. Listen, he's there with us. He's going to walk out of here with us. And every word that has been a word from the Lord is going to come to pass. The Bible says it's yes and amen. Amen. Amen means so be it. Some of those older things that we've done, that we've gotten away from, like saying hallelujah, glory to God. Amen. So be it. They're good words, people. They're words for us all to engage and to hold on to and to, to choose to have in our lives. Life creates a demand for wisdom. Can you say amen? Which God supplies when the conditions are met. Now, this is something that is rather simple theology, but it's powerful, I think. And that's this, that we, we say that salvation is free, and it is. Right? Salvation is free, and it is. But what I have found is that the promises of God have conditions. And that does not mean that God is a conditional God in that He maybe loves you or doesn't love you. He maybe will keep His word or He maybe won't keep His word. It's this. If my people who are called by my name, the word if that we use a lot, that connecting word, it means on the condition on the condition that my people humble themselves. How about humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. The exalting doesn't happen except that you humble yourself. People, we've got to get out of this fantasy land kind of Christianity. Name it, claim it. Blab it, grab it. Whatever. We've got to get out of that idea that we can just sort of take it because it's ours because we're North American Christians. We're part of the body of Christ, and Jesus wants us to remember his death until he comes, and his death is bloody, his death is, is horrible, and what he went through, no one should ever have had to go, gone through, and he did just for us. So that we, like all of the people that will ever be born, can have the opportunity to live with him eternally, not because we made up the rules, but because we said yes to the one that did. Does that make sense? 
We said yes to God and no to Satan. Yes to God and no to Satan. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. Father, get us back to the place where the prayer service is the most powerful thing that the church is doing. Because in that place, amen, in that place, we cannot stop the blessing of God. We cannot stop it. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't. Because it's just coming down from heaven. It's just pouring out upon us. What is wisdom? There's many definitions, but I like this one. Wisdom is being able to see around the corner. Huh? I like that. Being able to see around the corner. That's not real complicated, but is it ever good? Knowing what's coming before it comes. Because the God of heaven has put wisdom in your spirit. There are various definitions of wisdom. Webster defines it as the ability to make the right use of knowledge. One prominent theologian dictionary defines wisdom as prudent, considerate, experienced, competent action to master the various problems of life. So we see that there is an aspect of knowledge in wisdom, but it goes beyond that. Wisdom involves the practical use of that knowledge to deal with the issues of life. When I was in prayer in the prayer room last night, which, by the way, was, in fact, a watershed moment in our district, our province, our community, in resurgence, in our land, in the nation, there was something last yesterday in the prayer room that began to happen that I believe we're going to look back in five years and say, do you remember that move of God that happened and it was that place that time? I believe that. While we were in that place, I heard Dave, uh, dangerous Dave, I heard dynamic Dave uh, speaking out this word about wisdom, wisdom. He preached, he spoke wisdom. And I knew at that point I already had this word ready but it was confirmed in my heart. And then he spoke over me this morning as we were getting ready in worship, and I was just waiting on the Lord, and he began to talk about wisdom. And I just thought, yes, it's the Holy Spirit. You know it, but you know confirmation is a beautiful thing, right? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So we see there is an aspect of knowledge and wisdom, but it goes beyond that. Wisdom is often defined as not only having the knowledge needed to make a right choice in any given moment, but also the understanding or ability to use that knowledge to the best advantage under every circumstance. I believe that as a son of God, that I can walk so close with my Father, that I literally on a daily basis with my heart right before God, cleansed through the blood, calling on God to walk in that kind of relationship, I believe that I can make great choices every time. I don't believe that we have to fail. Some of you know that our vision is for 100 churches, 100 additional healthy churches by 2020. That's the vision of the district that I'm leading. Some of you know that. But you know, People look at that and say, ah, how can it happen? Well, we know it's got to be God, just like we know what God's doing here at Resurgence. But 
one of the reasons why God put that in our hearts and the, the plan for it was because when I was starting out ministry with Lena, in fact, we were just in our early 30s when we planted our first church in Stony Plain called The Lighthouse. And uh, uh, we were in Spruce Grove at the time, and we planted it out of there. Lots of people don't know that that's a lot of years already. But back then, as I studied church planting and history and everything like that, I was being told that about 7 out of 10 churches that were being planted were not making it. About 7 out of 10. And and I've always believed in the 80-20 principle, you know, 80%, 20% principle. You've got to study it. If you've never looked at it, it's very intriguing. But I just looked at that statistic and I said, no way. I said, there is absolutely no way if God calls me to lead this fellowship that we're going to watch seven out of ten churches fail. And I believe that God has heavenly strategies for every one of our lives. I believe that God wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. I go to other denominations and God's begun to mix my heart and blend us with other groups. And we're, we're involved with ministries. We don't even know why we're there. We were in Ottawa just a couple of weeks ago. They put us up at the, the nicest hotel called the Fairmont, right next to the Parliament. There was over 200 church planters. They paid all the expenses. They called us in, and they asked me to lead one of the sessions, and I'm not even a part of their group. And it's a whole nation, national C2C network. God's doing something so much bigger than what we can imagine or think. We don't have to live on this premise that maybe God will answer our prayers or we hope he will. We know he will. We all lack wisdom and we all need wisdom. So the question this morning as we wrap up this time of advancement is how do we get wisdom? And where does wisdom come from? A wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. And a fool learns by nobody's experience. Wisdom is the convergence of knowledge and skill which enables a person to make right choices that honor God. True wisdom, according to Scripture, begins with God. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. In the King James Version, 222 times in the Word of God we hear about wisdom. So if we want to know about it and learn it, then we must understand, number one, that God is the source of all wisdom. And that we, see, we must see when we read in the passages, like the book of James, that this chapter, chapter 1, listen, chapter 1 of James set my own life free personally. And I'm going to tell you about that as I close in a moment. There are two types of wisdom. There's the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. Quite often, they are one and the same, but sometimes the wisdom of man is little more than foolishness in the eyes of God. Absolute foolishness. Let me illustrate. Many people say that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Not true. 
Daniel was the wisest man. Daniel feared God. And Daniel did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Solomon started right, but he did not end right. How could he be the wisest man if he didn't end right? How? Help me understand that. Help me understand why we have made that incredibly stupid error by saying that. It's almost equally stupid as somebody having a bumper sticker that says that God is the co-pilot. Have you ever Every time I see that, and usually they're people that are 50 years of age and older, and sometimes they're 75 and 80, and I love them. They're beautiful, dear people, and I want to grab them and shake them. But I know that would be very dangerous to their physical health, to their frail bodies. And so I just say, God, give me wisdom. Because there's no way that God's the co-pilot. Since when is God second in command? Since when does God sit in the second chair? My God, that is so foolish. And somebody made a lot of money off of that. They ought to give it all back to God. Amen? That is just craziness. God's wisdom is not based on logic alone, but upon supernatural intelligence. The power to create and the eternal. Our all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, and eternal God has insight that man could never understand or attain. And yes, there's a lot of smart people and a lot of PhDs that don't believe in God. But listen, there are a lot that do. And you know what? You can choose to study under both of them, and that's okay. But understand that the one is absolutely in a deficit position. His PhD isn't anywhere near the PhD of the man who believes or the woman that believes in God. It's like sub par. It doesn't matter how many paper he's written, how many books they've published, how many shows he's been on. It's not the wisdom of God. And you've got to know the difference. This is why for a generation, we lost a lot of our kids to universities and colleges because we were so scared that they wouldn't understand how to work through the pushback that was going to come at them. Because we know how strong the pushback is. Why do you think it's so strong? Because God's so real. And they are so sub-beneath where God is that they have to ridicule the person that created them. You know this when you're in a debate and you're losing the argument. What do most people do? They, they, they go to personal attack. They go to making the person feel embarrassed or foolish. They call you out. I was called out in a grade 12 English 30 class for my dad's position on same-sex marriage. I was called out in the class in front of everybody as though I was supposed to give an answer for my dad. And I was ridiculed and made fun of by a teacher that thought he knew more than God. Oh, I'm proud of my dad. That man, he has no power over me. He has no authority, the professor, the teacher. He's just operating 
at the level of his understanding. Life creates a demand for wisdom. Number one. Number two, if any of you lack wisdom, this shortage of wisdom could be highlighted by different problems like financial problems, family problems, relationship problems, work problems. We don't always have a clear handle on every intersection we come to in life, and that's why wisdom sees around the corner, right? Because life creates a demand for wisdom. Number three, God supplies wisdom to those who ask. You've got to ask for it. I can validate that through, through the story of, uh, of Solomon, powerful story, and then, of course, in the book of James where it says, if you lack, ask. So it's Old Testament, it's New Testament. Number four, he will give it generously. This is really good. Get ready. God is not stingy with his gifts. Hear this. He knows how badly you need it, how badly I need it. And the word James uses here is without reserve. That's the kind of wisdom that God will give, without reserve. Isn't that good? No reservation. It gets better. Listen, he will give it without finding fault. Come on now. The word means without reproach or insult. Now let me give it to you in a definition form. God will not insult you and make you feel an inch tall for coming and asking him for wisdom. That's why we don't ask. If we go to the professor and we ask them something that he says we should know, he makes us feel stupid for asking. And he says that's a technique in learning because then he'll go and study hard because he's so embarrassed. It's a game. Listen. All of us need more wisdom. And if that professor, here's what I do as a leader when you come to me and say, I've got a question for you, and, and here's what it is, and I look at you, and I feel like I don't have the answer, I stop and I say, that question demands a better answer than I have. I need 24 hours. I'll get back to you in 24 hours. I do not have the answer right now. And I'm okay with that. That question demands a better answer. Don't do this pull out of the air thing. God wants better than that. You are a child of the king. You represent, represent Christ to the world. Amen? Wow. Okay, we're almost there. Just give you a couple things that I think are funny. The wisdom of children. Have you ever heard that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings that God has perfected praise, that God uses children, right? For example, Patrick, he's age 10. He says, never trust a dog to watch your food. There's some wisdom there. Michael, Michael's 14, and Michael says, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. <laughs> Michael. Wise man that he was also said, never tell your mom her diet's not working. Randy, nine years of age, 
Stay away from prunes. Okay. Kevin, he's, eight, he's only nine. He says, never hold a vacuum and a cat at the same time. I say, hold one at the same time. Use it for what it was intended. And I've just lost half my crowd. Number five, wisdom is supplied to those who ask. Remember, you have to ask in faith. Ask in faith. Number six, we must ask in faith, not doubting. And here's this powerful thought on doubting. The word means, get this, to dispute with one's self. When you doubt, you're having a self-argument. You're arguing with yourself. Do you realize how foolish that is in the eyes of God? And, and, but do you realize how the enemy must have a heyday with that? Looking at you, laughing his head off because you're arguing with yourself. And you're walking away going, I don't have the answer. You're lacking faith. doesn't need to be that way. I close with this story. I was 22 years of age. I was in Bible college, Dallas, Texas. I was in a meeting much like this, but with probably a 1,000 people. There was two men that God had used to give prophetic words like were happening this weekend. The prophetic of God is very much his heart revealed. It's the rhema of God, the rhema word of God, breathed off of the pages of God. That's why it needs to comfort, edify, exhort. That's why it does those things, because it's not meant to control people. It's not meant to deceive people. I'm standing in a line, and there's two lines, and let's say the guy's praying are at those two doors back there, the green and the white. I'm in this line, and it's about this. Probably I'm at that wall. That's how long the line was. And I'm walking towards that, and we're waiting our turn to be prayed for. It was long, but we were hungry. We're hungry. And that's the way it was working. And I remember all of a sudden I was around here, and I just thought, I've got to be in this line. And I just knew that I knew I had to be in that, that line. And so I asked somebody if I could butt in. And they said, yes, we were in Bible college. What else could they say? And uh, I just did that. And, you know, kind of just, you know, I, yeah, you're praising God and just sort of <laughs> moving over. But I got into this line, and I was in there, and I had no knowledge of why I was going there other than I, I was prompted to do it. I didn't know either of the men at the end, and so it had nothing to do with who I knew they were. I get to the guy, it's my turn, and he looks at me and he says, probably ask my name because that's always a great thing to do. What's your name? He says, power in a person's name as well. Your name is very significant. And uh, he asked me my name. Of course, Kenneth means handsome, but uh, <laughs> I, I didn't name myself. Come on. Soul Brecken means sunrise. Soul is sun. Brecken is the breaking, the breaking of the sun. Handsome sunrise. Come on. Come on. I take it. And I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm standing before him, and he looked at me, and he says, you're double-minded. He says, you're unstable in all your ways. And I said, why did I move over? Why did I switch this line? Why didn't I stay and go where the, get under the spout where the glory was coming out? Why didn't I go where I could get what I wanted? Thank God I waited 
I waited until he finished. He said, you're not, he said, you're not like a lot. He said, you're not different than a lot of other, and he used this word. I wouldn't have used it. He used it. A lot of other great men of God. He says, it's a struggle that many powerful men of God have. He says, but if you want to get to where God wants you to go, you're going to have to die right now. Listen, I stood there and I honestly, it took my breath away. It was like I was hit in the gut. I felt like I had a spiritual two by four across the head and I was just reeling and everything felt great. It was like God hit me again because I knew that that was my epiphany. That was my fire that wouldn't go out, the burning bush. That was my time, that my Bethel. I knew that was my moment at the age of 22. And when I left that place after doing business with God, honestly, I felt so different that I thought if I look in the mirror, I won't recognize myself. And the Lord said to me, you will recognize yourself because I wasn't doing a work on the outside. I was doing a work here and here. And God, from that moment on, I've not been without fault and I've not made mistakes in the area, but God has kept me on a path of single-mindedness. And it's one of the reasons why God promotes it's a, it's, it's a divine secret. I believe that King David understood it. I believe that Joshua understood it. I believe that you could name so many. But you get on this understanding path with God that it's not about you. It's all about Him. But when you're single-minded and focused on God, then everything makes sense. Even when it doesn't make sense, it makes sense, if that makes sense. It just makes sense. So, I love the words of Abraham Lincoln. I have two Lincoln quotes. Now, when's the last time you quoted Lincoln or you? Not a lot of people are quoting Lincoln. This guy sat by me this morning and told me without knowing anything about my message, he said, Abraham Lincoln is my favorite guy. So he told me this morning. He goes, I quote him more than anybody else. I'm like, you too. I love him. I love the words of Abraham Lincoln. That's how I started. <laughs> Who said, I ha- here's what he said. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. Isn't that good? I was driven to my knees. Let's stand together. Trav, you can come and close us. But let's just raise our hands. And this is sort of a spiritual calisthenics thing, but it's really good as well because it's surrender. Just do this, humor me, do this for a moment if you would. Reach to the sky. Now, this is not because you're charismatic, but you probably are. But, but no, no. Reach higher. Like, higher. Reach until it begins to hurt in your shoulders. Come on. Diana, higher. Come on. I can, no, not your toes, your arms. Yeah. You've got to stretch. You've got to stretch into what God has for you. 
Now, this is good for your body, but you've got to stretch. God, we want to go higher. We want to go further. We want to go deeper. God, we don't want to be people that are frothy and frivolous and foolish, God. We want to be people, God, that are powerful and strong and do exploits, God. We are explorers for God. Now give the Lord the praise. Amen. Give the Lord the praise. Praise him. Uh, I want to uh, I want to thank Ken and Lena and... Uh, and uh, honor them, and they've just been with us. And Ken, thank you for what you shared, and um, and Lena yesterday, and then just uh, they've been there since the beginning when this was just an idea on paper. And uh, and I just honor you. You, I know, are a busy season. And even Lena, a month ago, we we're sitting here, and you're like, oh, it's so busy. Ken's everywhere, and we want to come. And and just so thank you for making this a priority. I know you said no to other things to be here, and so I really honor it. Let's honor them. We're really blessed to have you in our lives, and I, and I know that. And Dave, I just want to thank you, Dave, for coming and, and just coming and, and in the last few weeks just coming out. And just, you know, Dave's a stir stick, and he's stern. And sometimes you may go, oh, he's kind of yelling, and I don't know if I like this style. And the, the packaging is a little like, oh. And it might not be your style, but what's in the packaging and what he's delivered has been God. And I just I want to thank you, Dave. I just uh, want to pray a blessing over you and your wife. We just bless Jamie, and we bless everything that you're stepping into in this season. And so thank you for pouring out and just coming and being a catalyst for us and stirring us and calling the prophetic. And, and uh, I know Dave talked about, you know, uh, that, you know we kind of the prophets, and you may go, okay, well, like, I want to be equipped, and I want to do it. Well, we're as a community, we're, we were talking this morning, we're going to have a teaching night on, the, on this and really grow. And we have someone coming in June from Bethel that's going to really share on it as well. And so, so this is going to be something that's not like, okay, well, I know a little bit, but I'm a little scared. Well, we want to prompt you to hear God. So you hear God's voice, period. And you hear God's voice for you, but you hear God's voice for others. And so this is, we're, this is a beginning, but it's not the end. So uh, get ready. And um, uh, Kevin and Aaron, and just honor them, they had to check out, but just love their heart and what God's doing. And it's, it just feels so right they're here, like there's just something happening, and it's just really cool. And I want to honor uh, my team, and uh, uh, Diana and Dean and uh, Dave back on the sound, and uh, Karis, and uh, uh, let's just give a real warm, yeah, and I want to thank the camp, and just the camp, um, thank you, the camp has given us a crazy great rate to be here, they just, I met with the director yesterday, he goes, oh, maybe you'll do two weekends here, maybe you'll, you know, this is great, this is what the camp is about, thank you for coming, he was more thankful that we came than, than I was thanking him, I was like, thank you, like we're here, no, thank you, no, thank you, isn't that an amazing heart, like, yeah, so, thank you to all the kitchen staff, wherever you are, you might be gone, but thank you. And Chantel and her team and everyone, so thank you. Um, and uh, 
I'm going to invite in a moment Diana and uh, Braden, and we're going to close out a little differently. And uh, we, we really felt in closing out we're going to do something where we, we have some things, like cards, and fill out some stuff, and just kind of took in this reflective mode what God did, and then release you to go, and just uh, they're going to pray a releasing at the end, or however you guys want to do it. But uh, Dave, did you have something on your heart? You said to me, did you want to come share or just something that God... Yeah, why don't you do that? We'll do that, and then we'll... Yeah. Yeah, just, so if your team wants to come on up here, Diana and Dean and David and Karis, and uh, just come on up to the front here and just face me. You guys can face me, and we'll have uh, Ken and Lena come in behind you guys. And I just want to bless you guys because of all the investments. So, guys, let's just reach out uh, your hands to them, and uh, we're just going to bless them and uh, just pray over them. And just this whole... Ken doesn't know this either, but I'm reading... The only book that I brought with me, I have... Well, I always have a lot of books on the go. Right now, one of the books I'm reading is an 800-page volume of Abraham Lincoln, which is my favorite guy. And I'm around page 600, and I just love it, and it's great, and it's all good. But I've got another book right now. It's on focus. And, you know, the Scripture says that the people of God, they didn't increase when they heard the word because they didn't mix it and blend it with faith. And faith, the key about faith is when you get a word, like I prophesied over a guy in Winnipeg the other day, a promotion's coming. Two days later, he emails me, goes, help, I just lost my job. I just, I said, yeah. Like he got demoted. And so, oh, false prophet. I said, like, well, you can take your situation and challenge the word. Or you can take the word and challenge the situation. You know, sometimes God sweeps us up off our feet, takes us up into tender, loving gaze, and then beats the heck out of us. You heard that from Lena yesterday with the prophetic. That can happen, and a lot of us get kind of smart and go, I don't want the prophetic. Stay away from me, you know. It's not. It's, listen, God gives you a word so you can focus on it. And when you focus on it, it, that's faith. And when you're assiduous with it, which is even more detailed focus, oh, man, the thing that you write. I always tell kids, keep your eye on the ball. And then if you can look at the stitching on the ball, then you can be dynamic with your hitting because you can put the ball all over the field. You don't you didn't just put the ball in play. You can hit the ball to right field, left field, inside, outside. And people have that. We have that ability with everything we do in life. And when you get a word of God, if you have focus, you have assiduousness. And then if you're intentional with it, like if you want to be a physical education teacher, buy a whistle. <laughs> buy a whistle. Now, I preached that word to you, but I actually did that. And I became a physical education uh, uh, teacher without any education in doing it. And that's a whole other story in and of itself. And then if you talk about the word, wow, that's what creates. you got to talk the word. The woman said, oh, I've got an issue of blood. I've had it for all these years. But if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, you got to talk about the word that you got. And then the main thing is guard your heart. Protect your heart with the word. Nurture the word. Protect the word. Guard the word. Don't let anything get in on your kingdom advancement like David. Oh, I could just go on and on. There's so much. We could never teach on all the. Get this person in in June and teach on the. Listen, man, you're an earth moving machine. You have a capacity to move the earth. And in this prayer dynamic that's on your life, you're going to move and alter the earth. It's on your life. Don't let anything stop you. And you, young lady, you're the head dog in the Iditarod. You pull the whole thing. The whole team follows you. But I see a dynamic taking place over your life where all the dogs are being taken care of. And the Lord says, no longer do you guys have to pull pull any longer. But get 
in the back of my sled because my spirit's going to pull it for you and that God's doing that in this place at that time. See what the Lord's doing. But with the lead dog, this is what he says. No, you come here, my daughter. You don't go back oh, in behind here, but you have a season that's coming upon you where I'm actually picking you up as the lead dog and you get to ride in the sled with me and we get to pull the dogs together. You're going to go through a season like that. And you, young man, God is going to expand the ground underneath your feet like David of old. And it says, you brought in the path beneath me so that my feet do not stumble. The road that's going to be brought in under you is a spiritual road. You are about to expand in all that's been invested in you through your distinctives and all the fathers that have been in your life and all the beautiful deposit that's been in your life. But you're going to have an addition to that, a complement to that. And God is even in these hours and in this time expanding it underneath your feet. And not only is it spiritual, but if it's really spiritual, then it's tangible. It's concrete. It's real. It works in your vocational field. It works in the workplace. It works in your city, in your home. And you're going to be expanded with prosperity spiritually and literally. You're walking in a broadened pathway in the days ahead and for you you're such a childlike woman of God the kingdom is yours the kingdom is yours the kingdom is yours and just in imparting and singing and leading the children of God not in childishness but in childlike simplistic guileless, no strings attached, no hidden agendas, no cleverness of, you know, sleight of hand, no self-promotion, but just a delight to get the people having a great time in the presence of God. As you move forward, my daughter, you're going to have breakthrough into the realms, into the dynamic, into the heavenlies that are going to shift things, shift the city, shift the region, shift your family line. It's going to come back onto your home life. It's coming back into your home life and it's going to expand your family, expand your home. It's going to bring all the revelation of the goodness of God to those that are the closest to you, but sometimes have not even been able to support you at times. And you're going to see the love of God invade because you carry the ark, you carry the presence and you carry the people of God, not behind you, but beside you and with you. We party with you, girl. We're with you. And the freedom of God that is about to explode over you to expand through your voice, through your gifting, through your talent, through your ability. My God, my God, my God, my God, my God, my God. And watch out. You're going to have to fight off the hound dogs. I'm telling you. Watch out, girl. Watch out. I don't even know what that means. I never prophesied that before. Somebody's got to have a gift of interpretation for that. But maybe you know what it means. So Lord, bless the people of God. Let us have focus. Let us be assiduous. God, let us be intentional. Let us talk up the word and help us to guard our hearts, Lord. And take the word of God and prosper in it. Bless this man of God. In Jesus' name. Wow. Enjoy him. Enjoy him in the borders of this province. Because the borders will not contain what God is doing through you. When I say through you, I'm addressing all these people here because that's the kind of leader you are. Through you through you and with you. He doesn't do it to you. He's not a do it to you leader. He's a do it through us type of guy. 
Wow. <laughs> and do it with us and do it together. It's not going to be able to contain you. And, be, and wow. Dress the bride. Dress each other. You know what makes us God's anointed? You know what makes us God's anointed? We're not like Old Testament, touch not the Lord's anointed. We're not like that New Testament. The New Testament, touch not the Lord's anointed, is every one of us. And the reason that we have that capacity is how we do the one another's. Love one another, pray for one another, bless one another, keep one another. Nobody can't touch this. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. When you do the one another's right, nobody can touch us as the people of God. Nobody. Nobody can touch us. Because we know how to do one another's. We know how to do the one another's. And you're a one another guy, brother. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Love you. Thank Love you. you. Yeah. I want to thank Andrew, uh, Gal, and the team. And uh, uh, 